Hello, everybody, and welcome. We're back today with another edition of Awesome Irish Women from the Past. And here with me on the sofa are three ladies who all have a way with words. Let's give a warm welcome to Eileen Dovney Connell, to Peg Sayers, and finally to Lady Augusta Gregory. Thanks for joining us today, ladies. We've reached deep into history and brought you together because our program today is all about... Storytellers! Now, it's clear that you ladies really know how to tell a story, but we want to know the women behind the words. So, let's get started. For our first story, we're heading west. Peg, a store. On Wiltoure, tell us about your life on the beautiful barren Blasket Islands in your own time. Fado, fado. Oh, in English, please, Peg, if you don't mind. <sighs> if I must. On the furthest point west in Ireland, there's a place I called my home for these many years. The point at which Ireland ends and all that stretches beyond is the wild Atlantic Ocean. Although I wasn't born on the Great Blasket Island, I became a part of it, and it of me. But my life began in another place, in beautiful Dunhreen, on the south coast of Kerry. So it was my father who gave me my love of storytelling. He could weave a tale so skilfully that you'd be lost in his words and forget yourself completely. He had the old stories, older than you or I, Older indeed than any people. The ancient tales that are all around us. The stories that seep from the rocks, that drip from the trees, that float on the waves. When I was old enough, I agreed to let my brother arrange a marriage for me. It sounds strange to you, I'm sure, but arranged marriage was the custom. I was scared of what lay ahead. But in a great turn of fortune, when I met my future husband, Padraig, it was love at first sight. He was a fine, handsome man, and we were to be very happy together. Life was hard, it must be said. I had eleven children, many of whom died young, and one was killed in an accident when he was a grown man. We relied on the sea for much of our living. Padraig, my husband, fished, and we grew a few potatoes. Now and then we had rabbit stew. My daily chores were always the same. I'd gather the turf, the firewood, fetch the water, before going home to churn the milk, cook the meal, and mend the clothes. It must sound dull to you, but I can tell you that from time to time, our island in the middle of the Atlantic had some interesting visitors. Um, dear Gwit? Dear I wonder if you might be able to help me. I'm looking for Peg. Big Peg? Big Peg? Well, yes, she's around here somewhere, all right. Oh, you'll see her coming. She's that tall. Towering above us all, she is. Yes, well, it's just that the ferryman said that she was tall. 
I'm a linguist, you see. I've come here from the British Museum. Have you now? I was sent by a colleague. His name is Karl Marstrander, and he was doing some research. Perhaps you know him? Ah, yes. The Norwegian fellow. The Viking, we call him. <laughs> he said the peg might have some stories that I could perhaps record and share with the academic world. The academic world, you say? And you think that they'd be interested in the old stories? Well, I do hope so. Well, if it's stories you're after, you should come to my home at sunset. There'll be a few gathered there for the old tales, and you're welcome to join us. Oh, wonderful! And will Peg be there? Oh, she will indeed, as I am Peg. And what's your name, may I ask? My name is Robin. Robin Flower. Dias Bulelata Feg. Agus Lietze. Blohin. Blohin? Oh, yes, I get it. Very good. Very good. Blohin. That was what we called him, Robin Flower. For Blohin means little flower. We were only teasing a bit, and he seemed to like it. Over the next few years, I was kept busy telling Blohin and the other scholars my stories. And they gathered them all like precious gems. After my husband died, life on the island became lonelier. I watched my children emigrate, and I knew they might never return. I mourned them all. So when my son Michal, Mike I called him, wrote to tell me that he was returning, I was delighted. Of course I did still have the odd visitor, the Irish language scholars with their notepads, and twas one of them, Morni Hineja, who had a funny idea one day. You know, I've thought of something, Peg, and I wanted to run it by you. Go ahead. It's just that I've been thinking about all the stories you've told us over the years. All of them written down and saved for future generations to read. Indeed. Well, I think we're missing one story. Missing a story? What do you mean? I can still remember them all, so if you know how it starts, you can write it down now. No, Peg... The story we're missing is yours. The story of your life. I think you should tell it. Ah, would you stop? Uh, it would be wonderful, Peg. Ach, ni doil me. Sure, who'd want to read a book about me anyway? It's the old stories they're interested in. The ghost stories and all the rest. Sure isn't there the other islander, Tomas? He wrote a book about his life. They can be reading that one. Tomas's book is doing well because people are interested in these kinds of stories. You should tell yours too, Peg. This way of life, of island life, is dying out. We need to be able to remember it. But you know I can't read or write in Irish. How would I even go about getting the words onto the paper? You could tell your story to your son Mike and he could write it down. He could send it to me and I would do all the editing. And we'd have it published in no time. Do you really think anyone in Ireland would want to read it? I think people might even study it, Peg. And sure, even if only one person were to read it, it would be great, wouldn't it? So that people could learn about you, about the islanders. Ah, pass me the pipe and let me think for a minute. And a little whiskey there. Well, what do you say, Peg? Well, all right then. Let's give it a go. 
Shanavan is a mission list. Go will cost lay in Snowig is on Hossella at a brewer. That's quite the story. Now it's time to meet our second guest for the evening. Here with us today, all the way from the 18th century, we're delighted to welcome Eileen Dovney Cunnell. Eileen, I must say, you're looking lovely. Let's hear your tragic tale. My name is Eileen Dovney Cunnell. Eileen Dove means dark Eileen on account of my dark hair. I was born in the year 1743 in Derrynan in County Kerry and we were a big family. At this time in Ireland, life for Catholics was difficult. The penal laws meant that we could not live in total freedom as our Protestant neighbours did. There were rules to keep us down in our place. When I was 15 years old, my father decided that I must wed. Now I was not keen. The man I was to marry was much older than me and, well, there was no love there. But I did my duty and married him as my family wished. But only six months later, he died. Now, I cannot say that it was not with some relief that I was set free again. And it was not long before my life took a wonderful turn. For that is when I met Arth, my love, my soulmate, Mkhoishle. Have you lost your mind, Eileen? You want to marry that man? The one who swaggers around the market as if he owns the place? One thing I know for sure, my girl, is that Art, or whatever he's called, is bad news. You're wrong, ma'am. He's a good person and he wants to take care of me. I've had one unhappy marriage already. Please don't stop me from finding my happiness now. Eileen, it's out of the question. You cannot marry him. Will you talk to your daughter, please? I can't get through to her. Your mother is right, Eileen. We're happy for you to make a new match. But this man, with his continental airs and graces, is not the one for you. As Catholics, the best way and the only way to live in these trying times is to simply keep your head down, follow the rules and get on with it. That art fellow will bring trouble, I just know it. I don't believe that's true, Dad. He'll not bring any trouble to me or to the family. I cannot discuss it any more with you, Eileen. Your mother and I do not give our blessing for this marriage. Well, I'm sorry you feel that way and believe me when I say that I do wish it was different. Where are you going, Eileen? Eileen, I forbid it! I love you both, but I must follow my heart. So that is how I left my home and married Arth without my parents' blessing. We moved to McCroom in County Cork and it was there that we started our family. Those early years were so happy that I could never have guessed what lay round the corner. It all started when Arth got himself a new horse. She's beautiful, Arth. I dare say I haven't seen such a mare in all my life. I'm going to race her tomorrow. I know Morris has a horse competing and I just cannot wait to see his face when my magnificent mare shows up. Arthur, I wish you'd put this grudge to one side. 
Morris is the sheriff and we cannot afford to have enemies in such positions of power. Can you not just try to let it go? Your horse is wonderful, but must you race her tomorrow? Morris is a blackguard and I am perfectly entitled to race tomorrow. Eileen, if we don't stand up to the people who oppress us, we will never succeed. I will not live my life bowing down because of my faith. I understand. I just... I fear for you. You wear your sword so openly and you know that it's against the law for Catholics to do so. You walk around as if there are no laws that bind you. But there are laws, Art. You know there are. And I worry. You worry too much, my love. We are king and queen in this land. And no laws, no injustice and no stuck-up sheriff will ever change that. There's nothing to fear. But sadly, that was not the case. The following day, I waited anxiously for Arth to return from the race. Arth! You're back, thank goodness! I cannot stay long, my love. I must away, there's not much time. I need to get my things. Why? What's going on? What happened at the race? I won, of course! And Morris, that snake, was so infuriated that he demanded to buy my horse. And you know how much he offered me? For my incredible mare, that beautiful creature. He offered me five pounds. Five pounds? The cheek of it? That horse is worth ten times that easily, and Morris knows it. But it's the law, Mastor. You know that as Catholics we cannot own a horse worth more than five pounds. It is of course unfair, but Morris is entitled to demand it. What did you say to him? I laughed in his face and told him that I have absolutely no notion of selling her for such an insulting amount. Morris can wait forever as far as I'm concerned. But Art, he'll have you thrown into jail or worse. Yes, he plans to. I heard him shouting as I galloped away. Said he was sending the guards to arrest me. The guards are coming over here. Oh, heaven save us, Art. What's going to happen? I'm pregnant and our two children are so young. You and the children will be safe as long as I'm gone. That's why I must go away, lay low for a while. Then I shall sort this out with Morris, just me and him. I will settle it once and for all. Where will you go? I will hide in the hills. I know them well and there is shelter to be found. Do not ask me too much as the guards will question you. This way you can answer honestly that you don't know my whereabouts. Do not despair, Mokhushle. I will sort this all out and I'll return to you and our children. Art left that night and I was questioned by the guards. A day went by, and then another. And after a while, things returned to a sort of calm. So I allowed myself to hope that perhaps the whole thing might blow over. Or that Art might agree to just sell the horse. But I hoped in vain. It was a beautiful day when she returned. I saw her gallop across the fields to me, that lovely mare, and I knew, I just knew that Arth was gone. I leapt on her back and she brought me to the spot where Morris had killed him. My dear love, Arth, that is when I began my lament, my poem for my husband. 
Into that poem I poured my sorrow, my anguish, my fury. And since that day, the lament, Cainarthi Lera, has been spoken and passed down from one generation to the next. From poets to scholars, from one century to another, my words live on. Mohrog Dangantu, Lord of Vakahu, a county in Vargig, Hugmahuil Arahut, Hugmahri Tanavdit, Dalius Omharadlap, Ivardo Vayan. Thank you, Eileen, for that extremely moving tale. It's hard to top that, but we'll try. Our final guest today is Lady Gregory. It's a pleasure to have you here, Lady G. Please tell us your story. My name is Lady Isabella Augusta Gregory. I was born in Roxburgh, a fine house in Galway. My husband was Lord William Gregory, an older neighbour who owned Cool Park, a beautiful house not far from where I grew up. We had a nice life together, travelling and meeting many interesting people, writers, politicians and artists. We had one son, Robert, so I have many good memories. But the story that you would probably like to hear begins around the turn of the 20th century, over 100 years ago. By this time, my husband had died, and I had become very interested in the folklore of the local people, the stories and the tales that they told to one another. I decided that I should like to hear them, and not only that, but I should like to write them down for others to read. Are you sure you want to be here, Lady Gregory? The workhouse is a very depressing place, and no doubt you'll find the people a little coarse. Thank you, Father, but I can assure you that I'm quite capable of being here in the workhouse among the people, and I would very much like to hear the story that this man has to tell. As the local parish priest and with your excellent command of the Irish language, I'm sure you will be of much help to me in translating what he has to say. Indeed, Lady Gregory, I'm happy to be of assistance. The great um, storyteller <coughs> is over here. He's been expecting us. But I must warn you that as he is missing some teeth, it may be a little difficult to catch every word. Well, we can only do our very best, Father. Yes, of course, here he is. Ronald Achara talk. Corchor and Shaw, Shahi Lady Gregory, Agsbawile, Shkela Alwit. I'll sit here on this wooden stool while he tells the story, and you can decipher what he says for me. Then I shall write it down here in my notebook. Would you not like me to write it down for you, Lady Gregory? It will be quite long, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm quite happy to do it, Father. Of course. Well, the story is called Kuchulam. Excellent. Coo-cal-in. It was hard work collecting the folklore. I can't deny it. And quite soon after this, I realised that I really ought to learn the Irish language myself. 
So I did, and that way I continued to collect the stories and myths. I translated them all into English so that they might be enjoyed by more people. It gave me great satisfaction, and I was happy to share my work with some of my friends, including my good friend Willie, a poet who often came to stay with me at Cool Park. As it happens, he was to become very famous. You would probably know him as W.B. Yeats. Oh, Lady Gregory, I do love it here. Cool Park must be one of the most beautiful places on earth. It gives me great inspiration for my work. I'm glad you like it, Willie. I must say that the grounds here give me much joy, and I do love planting new trees. This one here is a copper beech. Look up there. My dear husband and I scratched our initials on the bark many years ago. A few of our friends also carved their names. Why? You must do so also, Willie. Well, I would be honoured, Lady Gregory. If you would just hold my jacket for a moment, I will scratch my initials right here. Perhaps many years from now, people will come and see our names on this beautiful tree and wonder about us. <laughs> Indeed, that copper beech tree still stands on the grounds of Cool Park in Galway, if ever you happen to visit. My lovely house is no longer there but people do still go to see the initials carved on the tree. Over the years, some other well-known people also added their names, so now that copper beach is quite famous. I have been thinking a lot about our discussion the other day, about the theatre. Have you thought about it? The idea that we might start our very own theatre? I have been thinking about it. I say we should have the theatre in the centre of the city of Dublin, somewhere that we can put on Irish plays for Irish people, and I would very much hope that we can bring some of the folklore, the myths and the legends of Ireland to the stage. As luck and hard work would have it, we did succeed in opening our theatre. We named it the Abbey, and we put on many plays there, including the works of some of Ireland's greatest writers, like J.M. Singh, Sean O'Casey, George Bernard Shaw, and, of course, my friend W.B. Yeats. Although it must be said that not everyone was happy. One play called The Playboy of the Western World was greeted with riots. But we kept going nevertheless. After a while, I even began to write plays for the theatre myself, I actually helped to write one of the most well-known plays ever staged at the Abbey. It was called Kathleen Newhoulihan. Now, W.B. Yeats might say that he wrote it all by himself, but I can tell you that is not quite true. We worked on it together. And when it was staged at the Abbey, it was a great success. And believe it or not, there came a time when we did not have a lead actress to take the role of Kathleen and I myself had to step in. <laughs> I had never imagined doing such a thing, but I must admit it was quite exciting. I am no professional actress, but I believe I did all right. Some call me the poor old woman, and there are some that call me Kathleen, the daughter of... Me. 
Lady Gregory, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And that brings today's program to a close. I'd like to thank all of our three super sweet storytellers today, our incredible islander, Peg Sears, our lovely lamenting Eileen Dovney Connell, and last but not least, for the lady who lights up a theater, Lady Augusta Gregory. We'll be back next time with three more awesome Irish women from the past who will wow you with their weird, wonderful, and simply unbelievable stories. <laughs> Tune in when I meet the legends Queen Maeve of Connacht, the Pirate Queen Grace O'Malley, and St. Bridget. This program was funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television license fee.